prepare. That'll be 6.30 Wednesday night. Um, Let's pray before we go into what we would call the message time. Let's pray. Holy God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, everywhere present, loving your creation right now and forevermore. God, we are grateful that you love us more than we could ever love ourselves. We are grateful, God, that your hope for us is even more rich than our hope for us. We pray, holy God, in this time, all over the world, we pray that your Holy Spirit will help us see what you want us to see, help us hear what you want us to hear. Lord, for those of us who are in mourning today, help us see light. For those of us who are filled with joy, help us see the importance of love. And for those of us who need to be reminded of new creation, of resurrection, remind us again, Lord. And God, I, I want to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ in Sri Lanka. Three churches bombed, over 150 people killed. God, we mourn with you. We mourn with the church, our brothers and sisters. We pray, God, for hope, for comfort for those loved ones. We pray for healing for those in the hospital. And we're grateful for the promise of life evermore. In your name we pray, amen. Are you familiar with the atheist, Christopher Hitchens? Uh, If you're not, very smart gentleman. I actually have a soft spot in my heart for Christopher Hitchens. Uh, Hitchens was a very honest atheist. And interestingly, um, before he died, he became very good friends with a a Christian gentleman, uh, a Christian writer, with whom he would debate often. That author's name is Larry Taunton. And over the years, Hitchens and Taunton developed a very unlikely friendship to the extent that uh, Hitchens would stay in Taunton's home and prior to Hitchens' death from cancer, the two actually took two road trips across America. On one of those trips, Larry Taunton describes this particular scene. He writes, in a strong, clear voice, Christopher is reading from the 11th chapter of the Gospel of John reaching the 25th and 26th verses. His face lights up. Now, just so you know, those two verses are on the screen. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? So this is what Hitchens is reading in the presence of his friend Larry Townsend. Hitchens stops. I know this one too, he says. I did not recall its connection with the resurrection of Lazarus. It's a great verse, I add. And then, taking his reading glasses off, he turns to me and asks, Do you believest thou this, Larry Taunton? His sarcasm is evident, but it lacks its customary force. 
I do. But you already knew that I did. The question is, do you believest thou this, Christopher Hitchens? As if searching for a clever riposte, he hesitates and speaks with unexpected transparency. I'll admit that it is not without appeal to a dying man. Easter and resurrection, life evermore, go hand in hand, don't they? But what do we do with these words? I am the resurrection and the life. If you're a note taker, we have a place in our worship folder where you can take notes. And that's the key verse for today. I am the resurrection and, and the life. I've invited two friends from faith here to help us with an exploration. They'll get us going. Kevin and Tone, come on up. Give them a big round of applause. Hello, everybody. Kevin is very smart. He goes to cemetery. Uh, seminary. There's a difference? Uh, yes. A <laughs> seminary is a place where people go to study the Bible. A cemetery is a place where you bury dead people. And what's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> so, Kev, I have a cemeterian question for you. Okay. The whole resurrection thing sort of blows a lot of people's minds, right? right. I mean, Jesus rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. What? Yep. The only person to ever rise from the dead? I mean, how? Actually, not the only person. Uh, have you heard the story of Lazarus? Why don't you remind us? Okay. So Lazarus is a friend of Jesus, and he's super sick. <coughs> and so his sisters, Mary and Martha, they send a message over to Jesus to let him know that Lazarus is sick. So when Jesus gets winds of this, Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. But then Lazarus died anyway. He did. Wah, wah. So Jesus went to Mary and Martha, who were really upset about that whole death thing, and he said, your brother will live again. And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will, never, will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? And then Mary was like, uh, yeah. yeah. And then? Jesus wept. Wait, wait, Jesus cries? Yeah, he's a person. The most human, human, and still God in the flesh. And all of this is amazing. He is still God in the flesh. And so then later, Jesus says to them, he reads another verse, and I can't remember it off the top of my head. It's about Lazarus coming out of his tomb. Yes, then okay. Jesus went to the tomb and he prayed, and he said, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walked out of the tomb. You mean more like floated out of this tomb? Uh, floated? Like Casper, because he was a ghost. Uh, no, Lazarus wasn't a ghost. The same guy who died was now physically alive. Whoa, what happened next? Okay, so then the authorities plotted to kill Jesus. They arrested him, and then they crucified him. And then him. three days later, Jesus floated from the dead, and we celebrate Easter! Uh, no, Jesus did not float 
from the dead. Okay, Kev, I know we don't really believe that. We believe in the spirit or the idea of Jesus being alive, but he didn't really physically. Uh, yes, the Bible says that Jesus physically rose. Perhaps a refresher would be helpful. Okay, okay. so Friday, Jesus is crucified. Yeah. They take his body, they put it over into a stone tomb, and they roll a giant stone yeah. in front of the tomb. Okay. Then, on Sunday, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb. The, tomb. the stone has been rolled away. Mary freaks. What? The text says, Mary was crying and she stood outside the tomb. And as she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Get out! Then they asked her why she was crying. Wait, there were actual angels there? Yeah, hold on, I'm getting to the good part. Okay. Then Mary was like, they took my Lord away. They took my Lord away. And I don't know where they have taken and him. I don't know where they have taken him. And then she turned around and bam, she saw Jesus. The ghost of Jesus. No, Jesus in the flesh. Jesus was physically present. Now thinking that he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, Tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Then Jesus said to her, Mary. A gardener? She thought he was the ghost of a gardener? No, no. <laughs> he was physically present, so physical that when she turns around, she thinks, oh, this must be the gardener. Well, why didn't she recognize him? Well, who is the last person you would expect to see alive at a tomb? Okay, the deceased, fair point. Right. Right. So, then Jesus says, do not hold on to me. This is important. Why? Well, can you hold on to a ghost? Can you hold on to a memory or an idea? The text says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And then Mary went and told everyone, I've seen the the rest of the disciples saw him. The Bible says that over 500 people saw the risen Jesus. Get out! And that'll happen to all of us someday, too. Seriously? Seriously. Happy Easter, everyone. What? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just so you all know, Tone knew all that stuff. She was illustrating that she didn't. Uh, all right, so we're just going to be very practical this morning. We're going to look at three questions. The questions are as follows. What is resurrection? How can I be sure, assured of my resurrection? And what are the practical implications of my resurrection? So let's start with the first one. What is resurrection? It seems like a very simple question, but culturally, it's actually not. A lot of people are like Tone, the, the person Tone was illustrating, people who assume that Jesus' resurrection wasn't physical, it was more spiritual, it was more ghost-like, or it was the spirit of an idea that the disciples clung to after Jesus' death. But when you read the Bible, it's actually unmistakable if you read the text. Resurrection is very physical. Bible smart guy, N.T. Wright, one of my favorite people, he makes this point. He says this, resurrection did not, did not mean going to heaven or escaping death or having a glorious and noble post-mortem existence, but rather coming to bodily life again 
after bodily death. What is resurrection? Resurrection is coming to life bodily after bodily death. And how do we wrap our minds around that? Well, look at Jesus. If you want to understand anything in Christianity, just so everyone knows, you start with Jesus. That's why, why it's called Christianity. <laughs> start with Jesus. What is God like? Look at Jesus. What is love like? Look at Jesus. What does it mean to be human? Look at Jesus. What is resurrection? Look at Jesus. Again, N.T. Wright. The risen Jesus is both the model for the Christian's future and the means by which it comes about. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus' path through death helps us understand God's desire for your path through death. Yes, Jesus was fully God, but he was fully human. As Kevin said, I like to say Jesus was the most human human. And what I mean by that is Jesus is the best understanding example of helping us understand what God's desire is for us as humans. He was born with a body like yours, like mine. He, uh, if he stubbed his toe, his toe was hurt. He, if, if he was stung by a bee, he got a welt. And when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he bled and died, just like you would bleed and die. His body, like your body, was perishable. But when Jesus was resurrected, he was raised imperishable. He was raised with an imperishable, imperishable body. And the Gospels, with the foretellings of the life and ministry of Jesus, in the Gospels, there are accounts of Jesus after the resurrection just kind of showing up at a place or in a room. And while that, that is true, once he was in that room, he wasn't a spirit. He had literal hands. He had arms. He had feet. He could talk to people. In fact, he still had the, the scars from the cross. And he even ate fish with the disciples. He was still fully human, fully physical, with an imperishable body. The Bible speaks of Jesus' resurrection as kind of like the first fruits of a harvest, you know? So we're experiencing that right now with spring, right? You kind of move through life here in Minnesota and you look at all of the bare trees and you're like, oh, if I could just see one bud of a leaf, that would be the telling of all that is to come. You know, in three, four weeks or six months, it's going to be green everywhere. <laughs> but here, here in, in, in Minnesota, the, that first bud is like the first fruit of what is to come. Jesus is the first fruit of resurrection. Philippians 3 says, but our citizenship is in heaven, the realm of God, and we we'll eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Highlight that, if you would, in your brain. Put, a, put a, a, a yellow circle around it. Our lowly bodies 
like his glorious body. This is what the Bible teaches. And if that is true, then the resurrected body of Jesus is the model for our own resurrection. So what's our resurrection hope? We need only look at Jesus. Bodily life after bodily death. Secondly, how can we be assured of our resurrection? If eternal life is not us just disappearing into the ether and becoming like a disembodied Casper the friendly ghost, how can we be assured that we are in on the resurrection? Romans 8, 11 is very helpful. Read this with me if you would. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. All right, so now we're getting somewhere. According to this verse, the spirit in you is necessary for your resurrection. Who is the spirit? Well, this is the Holy Spirit. Christianity talks about Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three in one. If you read the scriptures, you can't mistake that the scriptures talk about God as three in one. The spirit is that which gives life to everything. The spirit is the very personal presence of God everywhere in the universe, bringing forth new life and new creation. So, if we, if we want to be resurrected, we have to have the Spirit. So how do we have the Spirit, Pastor Brad? Very good question. Acts 2.38 helps us out. Read this with me. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So let's unpack that just a little bit. Repent and be baptized. What is repentance? Repentance is simply a 180 degree turn, okay? So here is Pastor Brad. I am living a life where Brad is the captain of the ship. I am my own bus driver. Brad is Lord of his own life, and I'm heading in this particular direction. Repentance is, you know what? Uh, I've been driving my life this way, and often it ends up in a ditch. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take all my hands off the wheel. I'm going to stop being Lord of my own life. I'm going to turn from uh, that direction, from that sin of being Lord of my own life, and I'm going to put my faith in God. In consequence, I will obediently follow in the footsteps of Jesus and enter into baptism, being immersed under the water, brought forth into new life in Christ. In so doing, I am putting my faith in Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit as a consequence. So, we could put it this way. I hate to put it in an equation, but let's try to make it practical and simple. Repentance plus baptism plus faith equals the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've said, if you want to get in on the resurrection, you have to have the Holy Spirit. Now, let's talk about faith just for a second, because people get all kind of, get, get confused quite a bit about what is faith. To have faith is simply to believe in and depend upon. And a lot of people think, well, do I believe enough? What is the strength of my faith? 
Two examples. Let's say you're going to take a plane trip to London. That's your desire. Okay, so you head down the, that great hallway, someone who's a pilot, what is that hallway that leads into the plane? Lowell. The jetway, all right. So you're walking down the jetway, and you wanna get to London. You have a plane taking you to London. Now, you firmly believe that as you go down that jetway, you are gonna get on a plane and it's gonna take you to London. But what if, even though you firmly believe it, that plane is actually going to Milwaukee. There's been a mistake. Even though you firmly believe it, deep down in your heart, I'm going to take that plane to London, you get on a plane that, that takes you to Milwaukee. Now, will you get to London? Well, not on that particular plane. Or, let's say you get on that plane and it is heading to London, but it's not a reliable plane. Let's say, let's say there's a, a defect in the mechanics and that plane is gonna end up in the ocean. Are you gonna get to London even though you firmly believe it? No, you're not. No, let's take another, another plane. Let's say you don't like to fly. I really don't like to fly, I'm afraid that I'm not gonna to get to London, but I have to get to London for this wedding or whatever it is. So you, you head down the jetway with great trepidation. You're afraid to even get in the air. And as you cross over from the jetway into that plane, and you go and you take your seat and they close the door and it takes off, you are scared to death. But guess what? That plane is a very reliable plane. And that plane is heading to London. So, how are you getting to London? Well, it's not according to your feelings about the plane. See, this is the importance of faith. Everyone has faith. Every day we exercise faith in all kinds of things. The, the, the strength of our faith, though, is dependent upon that which we place our faith. Hear that again. The strength of our faith is dependent upon that which we place our faith. If I firmly believe I'm going to get on a plane to Milwaukee and it's going to take me to London, my faith is not well-founded. If I get on a plane and I am very afraid that it's not going to get me there, but it gets me there, my faith is actually well-founded. So the strength is dependent upon that which is going, upon that which I, I place my trust and I depend upon. According to the scriptures, the Holy Spirit then is given to everyone who repents, is baptized, and puts their faith in Jesus. That, then the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that will raise you from the dead. Now some will say, why does it have to be faith in Jesus? Why can't I have faith in X, Y, and Z as well, or not Jesus, just X, or just Y, or just Z? Well, simply put, if Jesus is not the resurrection and the life, then it doesn't have to be Jesus. Fair point. Or, if Jesus is not who he said he was, you know, he was, he's, let's say Jesus was like the, the plane that, that gives the indication, I'm going to London, but it actually is taking you to Milwaukee. Well, then, again, fair point. It probably shouldn't be Jesus. But if, however, Jesus is who he said he was, and if Jesus is the resurrection and the life, then it actually makes sense that you place your trust in him and him alone. Thirdly, what are the practical implications of our resurrection? 
If our eternity is physical, is bodily, bodily life after death brought about by the life-giving power of God's Spirit, what does it mean for us this week? What does it mean for us personally, right now and forevermore? Let's start here. God cares about your body. Yeah, God cares about your body. Now, back in Jesus' day, there was a growing movement, uh, highly influenced by Greek philosophy, believing it doesn't matter what you do with your body because God's only interested in the spiritual stuff. But the scriptures tell us that our bodies actually matter. 1 Corinthians says, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Now, it's common in our culture to hear people say, well, it's my body. I can do with it whatever I want. May I ask a provocative question? What if it's not your body? Hmm. What if you are simply steward, a steward, a caretaker of that which has been given, and that is you? What if God actually places a higher value on your body than our culture and even you yourself. What if it's true, as that text says, you are not your own? What if it's true your body is a temple, that God is tabernacling himself within you, and that includes your body? What if you're not an accident? What if you're made with purpose, born to reflect God's image, not only in what you think and feel, but in what you do with your body? What if the body is a gift that God has given you to love God and love others? Resurrection reminds us God cares about what we do with our bodies. Not because he's a despot, but because he's an artist. He has created a masterpiece, and that is you. The scriptures tell us that we are fearfully and wonderfully knit together in our mother's womb. And while our bodies are at present in bondage to decay, God's will is that you will be one day resurrected physically. God cares about your body. Do you? Secondly, What are the practical implications of the resurrection? Well, God will transform your body for his glory. I don't know about you, but when I imagine meeting the risen Jesus, I imagine the the, the risen Jesus radiating the glory of God. And the good news of the scriptures is your resurrected being, your resurrected body will do so as well. The great hope for the resurrection in the Old Testament comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 12. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Pastor John Piper, whom I respect very much, he says this about this point. He says, God created you with a body, and he created you for his glory. 
glory. Therefore, he is going to raise your mortal body no matter how mangled or deformed or emaciated or disease-ridden, and he is going to make it so strong, so healthy, so beautiful that when I see it, I will say, you are like the broad blue sky on a bright summer day. You are like the splendor of a million stars against the black night of space. Your radiance is like the sun. Yes, in you I see the form and grandeur of the glory of Jesus Christ who made you, redeemed you, raised you, and glorified you with his glory forever and ever. So the disease that took or is taking or will take you will have no place in your imperishable resurrected body. In Christ, God is going to make everything new, and that is including you, and that includes your body. The third implication of resurrection goes like this. God desires we use these bodies today for eternal purposes. Now, if you would like to dive deeper into what resurrection actually is all about, what does the Bible say about resurrection? There's one-stop shopping right in 1 Corinthians 15. The four Gospels, the telling of Matthew, uh, of, of the life and ministry of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell us the story of the resurrection, but the Apostle Paul, kind of the Michael Jordan of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul goes to great lengths in 1 Corinthians 15 talking about the implications of resurrection, not only Jesus' resurrection, but our resurrection. And you would think that after Paul goes and uses all these words to talk about resurrection, you would think that he would say, okay, just sit tight, go hang out in the uh, heavenly waiting room, grab a magazine, and just wait. Be safe until you die, and then you'll be resurrected. But that's not what he says at all. He actually uh, uses this verse, which I love so very much. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What he's saying is, yes, there's going to be a great resurrection. Yes, we have great hope to come. But now, use your body today for eternal purposes. When we do so, we are never doing work that is in vain. We are never doing work that is selfish. I used to say to my kids all the time, there is no such thing as an insignificant gesture of kindness. It seems so simple, but it is so true. Everything that we do that is loving God and loving others is never in vain. It always has an eternal impact. And so right now, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Not, don't just sit in the heavenly waiting room as we are alive today. All right. There you have it. Three, three questions. What is resurrection? Simply put, it is bodily life after bodily death. How can we be assured of our, of our resurrection? Repent, be baptized, Put your faith in Jesus 
and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same Spirit who will raise you from the dead. And what are the implications of all this? God cares about your body. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is not your own. You are a steward of the great gift God has given you. You were born to love God and love others, and that is with every ounce of your being. Your body is going to be glorified, and today, use that body for the work of loving God and loving others. Let's come full circle and come back to our main text this morning. Jesus' words, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? It's a good question. I'd like to introduce Anna. Anna has wrestled with life and death, and she still believes this. And I'd like you to hear her story. Well, good morning. My name's Anna. Um, I'm only 29, uh, but my story is very long and complex, much like a bunch of us sitting in this room. Um, So today is merely a snapshot of what my 29 years have been like. Um, So I grew up in Antioch, Illinois, which is north of Chicago by Six Flags. Most people know Six Flags. Um, Majority of my family is all in the Chicagoland area. And yes, I do drive like a Chicago driver, which means I honk, yes. Um, I grew up swimming in Lake Michigan, um, surrounded by family. My family is huge. Um, And I did sports, theater, music. I kind of just did a little bit of everything. Um, At seven years old, um, my mom went through round two of cancer. It was Hodgkin's lymphoma. I still can't say it right after all these years. Um, I lost both of my grandpas by the age I was uh, 15. Um, Between the ages of 11 and 17, I'd been on four choir tours around the world. I'd walked the beaches of Oahu, Hawaii. I'd sung in a Sunday service at the Vatican. I climbed the Great Wall of China. I walked the streets of Prague. I did a Sound of Music tour through Salzburg, Austria, which was awesome. Um, So by the time I was 18 years old, I'd sung in over 15 different languages. Um, I'd sung with peers my own age from Hong Kong, Austria, Norway. uh, The list goes on and on and on. Um, Really amazing stuff. I was the music theater kid who dated the jocks. It's pretty great. Um, I got into Bethlehem University up north in Minnesota in the Twin Cities. I received the highest vocal scholarship that Bethel was able to give. Um, By the time I graduated high school in 2008, my ego was about the size of this room, uh, and my faith was rock solid. The next chapter of my life begins in November of 2008, my freshman year at Bethel. Over the next 11 months, I would go from being this vibrant, outspoken, very outspoken young woman to a shadow of a grown woman living in a teenage body. November of 2008, I found out I have permanent vocal nodes, which are bumps, permanent bumps on your vocal cords. I'd been singing chorally since the age of seven, so music was, and still is, the essence of my being. Um, It's how I defined myself at 18. So at 18 years old, after 11 years of blood, sweat, and yes, tears, (laughs) I had to start from scratch. I was devastated. This was soul-crushing moment number one. 
Fast forward two months, January 2009, I received a call from my mother letting me know she was diagnosed with leukemia. This would be my mother's third and final battle with cancer. Not only did I feel inept to be a music major, I was now hours away from family and my mom. I tried to be a normal college kid, but over the next seven to eight months, my brother and I were tested for bone marrow matches. They chose my 14-year-old brother. He almost died from a blood clot. Over the summer, I helped take care of my mom. Uh, we cried, laughed, and watched a lot of Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Yeah, it's a great show. Uh, skip to Friday, five days, we're gonna jump way ahead, five days before classes my sophomore year. I spoke to my mom on the phone. We talked about her excitement coming up for a visit in a few weeks. Little did we realize this would be our last conversation. Early Sunday morning, my dad rushed my mom to the hospital, and over the next 24 hours, my mom would end up on a breathing tube. Monday night, back in Minnesota, my roommates and friends were all hanging out. Um, I received a phone call from my dad. I'd never heard such emotion. I had never heard so much pain from my dad before. He called to tell me my mom wouldn't make it through the night. I collapsed, physically collapsed, on the floor. My best friend and roomie, Emily, she put her hands on me and just began to pray. The next morning, my dad called me at 8 a.m. to inform me that my mom had passed away at 7 a.m. September 1st, 2009. This phone call drastically altered my world. The days of dreaming, feelings of safety, and intimacy with others completely disappeared. My faith shaken to the core. The intimate relationship that I had with God became almost non-existent. It suddenly felt like I was washed out to sea. I had no life vest, no lifeboat, and there was no other human being for miles. To communicate to you fully what the past almost 10 years has looked like would take this entire time together. We're not doing that. <laughs> I do want to share a tiny portion of this experience of the last uh, 10 years. The first emotion that took hold was anger. I was extremely angry, specifically with God for not saving my mom, because she and I had just gotten close. All that to say is I cussed out God. I will not be repeating what I said. <laughs> um, I began to shout and cry at God, and suddenly I found myself in front of Jesus, and I remember grabbing the front of his clothes my, with my fists, and I was shouting and cursing in his face and spitting at him and all kinds of stuff. Um, and I remember asking him again and again and again, why, why? I remember looking at him, and he had tears in his eyes. Eventually, I ended up on the floor. I was in his arms. I was sobbing. I cannot, I cannot describe the emptiness and grief to you and the intensity of loss at that moment. As I sobbed in his arms, he held me and cried, and I heard over and over again, I'll never forget this as long as we live. Oh, my beloved, oh, my beloved, as he held me. This was the first moment I was truly intimate with God, truly in his presence. I was vulnerable, I was emotionally naked before God, and all he did was hold me, weep with me, and love me even after the things that I said to him. God became a living, breathing friend at this point. He walked with me when I refused to go to church. I couldn't stand Jesus' music. And when I, I, I couldn't even look at my Bible, didn't even touch it. 
He stood there with open arms, weeping with me and walking with me through every doubt and fear. Although I felt lost, there was always this tiny light of hope that life would continue on. We still don't know why my mom actually died. There is no medical explanation for what happened. Um, I do know that my mom was tired and she was physically and emotionally broken on every level possible after three times through cancer. Um, I believe she has to go home. I believe she has to go home to be with God and to be made new in the spirit of God. My journey since losing my mom, along with many other losses that I have experienced over the past nine to 10 years, has been filled with deep sorrow, years of therapy, and learning who God truly is. I'm learning to live and be made new in the love and hope and grace of Christ. There are a lot of reasons I could give you to justify me giving up. There's a lot. But God has so much more. So much more. He is making me new with every new obstacle and with every new victory that has occurred. I will see my mom again in heaven. I still do talk to her. We will make music again, both of us, with renewed bodies and renewed spirits in Christ. I'm going to be singing a song a little bit later, a song that speaks to my soul. And I would ask that you just take it in and simply be washed with the love and the grace that God has for you. Thank you, Anna. So let's close with this question. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Going back to our two planes, which one do you want to step on? <laughs> which one do you want to trust in and depend upon? If Jesus is who he said he was, if he is the resurrection and the life, then even though it, you might be a little afraid of the choice, even though you might be insecure about stepping on that Jesus plane. The strength of your faith doesn't lie in you, but in the reliability of Christ. And so even though it might seem new, and maybe you're insecure about it, to take that step and to say, I'm going to put all my weight into this particular vessel, so to speak, to take me where I want to go. That's what we're talking about when we answer that question, do you believe this? So what I'd like to do is I'd like us, uh, if you would, bow your heads. I'm going to give an invitation right now. If you would like to, for the first time, put your faith in Christ, it simply begins with an attitude of the heart, like all things, and saying, okay, Lord, I'm scared or I'm a little unsure, but I do believe this, and I want to make that step of faith. If you would like to make that step of faith, all you simply have to do is I'm going to pray a, a, a line, uh, a sentence, and then you can repeat that to God silently. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I admit I need to be saved, and I need a Savior. I believe you lived, died, and rose again so I might be saved.
Forgive me for my sins. Today, I turn to you, and I seek to trust in and depend upon you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so I might be empowered every day to walk with you into eternity. In your name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, uh, we have at the blue tables out in the the lobby area, uh, there are some yes packets. Those packets are simple envelopes with a, a letter from me and uh, a gospel, one of the, uh, the gospels from the Bible, to help guide you on your journey here forward. We also have, if you're here today and you're thinking, you know, I'm curious, but uh, I'm not ready to step on that particular Jesus plane yet, that's okay. We also have a maybe packet. <laughs> and the maybe packet is uh, simply uh, has a good book uh, in there to help you Uh, continue the journey of your investigation. So I invite you to grab one of those as you leave this morning. Sure.